0: We invite you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. This is the second week in our fall sermon series that I have titled Rhythms and Roots. As I acknowledged last week, I freely and shamelessly ripped off the theme from a bluegrass festival that takes place every year in southwest Virginia. But I think the imagery is appropriate for us as well because the ideas that we want to convey this Fall and reinforce is that there are foundations and there are practices of our lives that are important in developing us to be whole and to be able to have the joy that God wants us to have. And last week, building upon the foundation of the priority of the kingdom of God, where Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount, where He declared, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. I challenge us to realize that the priority of our life needs to be the kingdom of God, which is the reign of Christ, not only geographical and expanded in terms of mission, but more and more that our lives would be yielded to the direction of Jesus Christ. Because only as we are yielding ourselves to the one who has created life and understands how life is supposed to work, is our life going to work. And along with that, Jesus said that we are to be seeking his righteousness, which is different than our righteousness, It's the foundation upon our lives that we are to be seeking not just to be good, but we are to be seeking to remind ourselves of what it is that God has acted out because of what God knew. And what God knew is that we are broken and in need of help and cannot help ourselves. And his belief compelled him to act in a way of mercy and grace, sending his son who bore our sin and set us free. We are told that continually to ponder upon that, seeking first His righteousness, our righteousness then becomes a response when we realize how much we have been loved. This week, we shift our attention to the first of the rhythms, rhythm that I'm calling learning, that we find uh, encouraged to us to, or actually uh, that we find instruction of here in Romans 12. So before we come to the text, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we do pray that this time that we have committed to hearing your word would be become fruitful, for just as a seed goes into the ground, no matter how faithful and diligent the farmer cannot make it grow, but you are the one who makes growth, Lord, we can pour ourselves into your word and learn and have the seed of your word go into our hearts and minds, but unless your spirit is at work within us, then it does not grow. But I do pray that this time that we have committed to listening to your word, And yielding to your spirit would bear fruit in our lives as well as through our lives. It brings you pleasure and brings us the joy that we so desperately seek. We pray all of this to your glory and our good. In the name of Christ Jesus, who is in himself the word embodied. Amen. Romans chapter 12. And perfect, The word of the Lord. May the Lord bring growth through it. In Lewis Carroll's Alice of Wonderland, Alice is on a journey, as you all no doubt know. Alice comes to a point in her journey, she's at a fork in the road, looking in both directions, not sure of which way she should go. She inquires of Cheshire Cat. Cheshire Cat asks a very simple and appropriate question. Where is it you want to go? And Alice says, I'm not sure. And Cheshire Cat logically responds, then either road will do. And the implication of this child story, this children's story, seems to be, there may be many, but at least the one that comes to mind and it's most striking, is that if we don't know what it is that we want to do, then making decisions becomes all the more difficult or at least irrelevant. It's not that our decisions don't have implications or consequences regardless of what we make, but the ability to make a wise and informed decision is much more difficult if we don't know where we want to end up, if we don't know what we want to be in the long run. The reason that's pertinent is because Romans chapter 12, here in these first two verses, we also come to a fork in the road. We also have two paths to which we are called to choose from. In fact, it's a path that we come to each day of our lives. Even in one sense, every moment of our lives, we are called to be asking ourselves, where do I want to go? And then with the understanding of where I want to go, we determine which path is the wisest one for us to take. See, the paths that are laid out here are found in verse 2 and tells us this, that when we come We have a choice in these paths, and Paul says in this letter one is that we would be able to, that one path is to, it leads us to be conformed to the practices of the world, and the other path leads us to be transformed by the power of the word. Paul's calling for us in this chapter, in these verses, to make a decision. Where do we want to be? Where do we want to end up? And realize that the answer to that question is the foundation for us to look at the two paths that are laid before all people and then determine which path it is that we want to take. Now, the one path that he's talking about in terms of conform to the world may include some idea of God, religion, faith in some aspects of it because, let's face it, in this world, throughout the world, almost everywhere, there is a faith component in almost everyone. Even the faithless have a faith component because they put their faith in nothing but themselves, lifting themselves up. And so that may be learning everything that is in this world, and then being shaped by the pressures and the values and the perspectives that this world presently has to offer. And it may include religion, church, and an idea of God. It may lead to a lot of happiness, success, but what it will not lead to is to God, and ultimately into fellowship with God or into heaven. Now, the other path that is laid out here, in one sense, sometimes we look at it as if it is totally excluding all of the other sites that are on the path that shapes from the world, as if if we choose this path, it will be barren of any knowledge, intellect, any understanding of the way that this world functions. Uh, but as long as we suffer through in ignorance and all things pertaining to this world and just keep our eyes looking to God, then ultimately we'll have fellowship with God and we'll end up in heaven. But it's important that we understand that that's not what this path is involved, in, what's not on this path. The reality is that the scriptures teach us over and over all truth is God's truth. And so on this path is not a rejection of understanding of biology and the sciences and the economy and philosophies of the world. All truth is worthy to study and to consider, but the priority of this truth is rather than to be conformed and to fit into the world so that we can have as much comfort and pleasure as possible to gain in this world, in this life. But the path of this is to realize that God, who created all things, who is Himself the embodiment of truth and the expression of all truth and the giver of all truth, calls us on that journey to learn as much as we are able to, to learn but realizing that there is nothing that is greater than God and His revelation, and that we would see all the things we learn through the lens of what God has called us to do. Paul says that this is an important, this aspect. In verse 1, he tells us that this path is involving giving ourselves to God. And by doing that, we are offering God a spiritual sacrifice of our, our very lives, something that is an act of worship to God. Each time we come to the path and we decide, I want to take the path, that leads me to God and to God's perspective on this world. It's important to understand that when we take that path, we are not forsaking any potential of success, knowledge, intellect, understanding of this world. We are simply saying that we are committing ourselves to God as first as our priority and seeing the world as God sees the world, enjoying all of the truths where God has embedded, embedded them, and also having the wisdom, seeing things through God's eyes as they are. And it's how people, cultures, the world tends to distort them and elevate them to ultimate things when really they are subordinate things, parts of the whole story. So we're at this fork of the road and we are asked and compelled to ask ourselves the question, where is it that we want to go? We have two paths before us. One is just the normal path, and the other is the path that we are told that leads to godliness, transformation by the grace of God. And in order, if we choose that path, the practice that we're told that, that we are to embrace is that of renewing your mind. Now, as we look at this text, one of the things that we need to realize is that this is a This is a command. This is an imperative. This is something that we are told to do, that we are to practice. That's the discipline. That is the activity that we engage on if we are to take the path that leads to God. Renewing your mind, in one sense, is just a a poetic way of saying learning. Learning is involved on this path, but it's important that we also realize there's more to that. In addition to the fact that there's more to that, that this path is not the only way of learning. Or Christians, for instance, are not the only ones who learn. All people learn. All religions learn. But there is a unique way of learning that Christians themselves are called to, invited to, empowered to experience, and it's learning through the lens of the gospel, which Paul has in view here in this particular text. While the phrase is not there, and a lot of the normal clues are not there, the shorthand for the gospel, whether it's cross or, uh, or, or even the word gospel is not found in this particular text, there are two simple words that remind us of what God, Paul has in mind, that we are to be focusing on in order to have our minds renewed. One of those words is, in light of his mercies, God's mercies. Well, what is God's mercy? God's mercy is that he doesn't give to us what we deserve. That is an expression or at least one component of the gift of the gospel. The gospel goes beyond that, but Paul taking a shorthand poetically saying, look, in light of the mercies, in light of the fact that while we are broken, while we are rebelled against God, God doesn't treat us as we deserve. Now, those who have already read chapters 1 through 11 before they get to this point We'll also realize that there are a lot of things that God gives us. He doesn't just overlook, but he actually gives to us. So there is grace that goes along with the mercies. But Paul's saying in light of God's mercy, he's calling our attention to what God has done and what God hasn't done that he rightfully could have done, which is bring judgment and punishment and discipline upon us because he poured it out upon Jesus. Chapters 1 through 11 are just full of explaining why that was necessary, why God did what he did, and the benefits for us. And then chapters 12 and moving on forward are just about the practical implications of the faith of the gospel. But the other key word is the word therefore that's in here. Therefore is always an indicator. There must have been something that came before. And what Paul has in mind is everything that came in chapters 1 through 11. And that is probably the most profound theological exposition of the gospel that we have had written in history. Explaining our condition, our need, God's holiness, God's justice, God's grace and mercy, and how we are the beneficiaries and recipients and the hope that we have because of that. Both of those point to the focus of the attention of the gospel. And again, going back, the reason it's important to understand that is because I'm suggesting to you that the path that leads to the transformation by the power of the word is one, that sees things in light of the gospel that's given. For instance, Paul writes elsewhere to the Colossians, in Colossians 1.6, this. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day that you heard it and truly understood God's grace. In other words, when we look at that particular, when we're looking at the gospel, we realize the gospel, at least, as Paul's understanding of things. And the reason he's saying that we're to use to look at that and to renew our minds according to that, is the gospel is not just the ticket in. It's not just the message that brings us salvation, forgiveness of sin, and, and a relationship with God. But it is the same message, the same foundational truth, along with all, all of its implications, that as we learn it and go deeper into it, that it brings about the renewal of our mind, and then therefore, the transformation of our lives. It's the gospel that continues to be at view in our focus. Now, we need to realize that that's what makes it different between just learning stuff and being learners who have our minds renewed. And Paul is saying, look, if you are going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, one of the things that you must do is to commit yourself to a practice of learning that your mind might be renewed by focusing on the gospel. Now, the word renewed has different meanings to it, too. I mean, there's different th- thoughts that come to mind. There is one sense in which you renew a magazine or you renew your driver's license or renew your YMCA membership. And what that simply means is what you've been experiencing, you're allowed to continue. And that's not an inappropriate way of looking at this particular text because the reality is when it is we, re, you know, we come and we want our minds renewed, we're being renewed, we are just simply saying we're committed to continuing with what the Christ has already began in us, and we're continuing on in that focusing and being renewed in that way. But while it's appropriate to consider, there's also another way that we need to be considering this text that I think that also has further implications, another way that we use the word renewal. Maybe a better word for that would be the word refreshing, refresh. For instance, when my computer is sluggish because all sorts of stuff is running, I guess they're called cookies. I don't know how my computer runs, I'm just happy when it does, and when it doesn't, I now call Brian Karsich, and he tries to explain why it's not running, but I don't understand, I don't really care, as long as he, he understands. So, but there are things that are going on in my computer that I don't want happening, and it makes it much slower, or difficult, or even impossible for me to do what I want to do. Now if it's not a serious issue at times you can press the button, it says refresh, and what that does is it stops all the other functions and goes back to the basic, back to the beginning, and allows you to function the way that you need to function. It declutters everything that is going on. In a very real sense, that's exactly what Paul is calling us to in our lives, because our lives are filled with all sorts of clutter. It's not that all the clutter is bad stuff. But we are inundated with information. Much of it is valuable. Much of it is good. Much of it is helpful. Some of it is merely trivial, and some of it is bad. But when we get inundated at times and overwhelmed and just are not functioning and our minds are not proper, we're not focusing, we just perhaps feel doldrums or we don't know why, we are in need of being refreshed. And we are probably in need of being refreshed far more often than perhaps we feel it. We only feel it when it's reached significant uh, levels. It's interesting, Albert Einstein, when he had fled from Hitler's Germany and came to the United States, said that he had to make a discipline, he had to commit himself from thinking, in his words, um, from becoming superficial in thought and in feeling, because he says, because it just permeates the air here in the United States. The reality is, what he experienced is true, and it's not just the superficiality shallowness in thought. But there's all sorts of things in our culture and in our world. Many of them are good. Some of them are not good. And they just kind of inundate us. And just as Einstein needed to make that commitment to not think superficially, we need to make that commitment to periodically press the refresh button in order that we are not superficial, that we are not bogged down. That we are made like new, which is exactly what the word renew means. So again, I'm suggesting to you that Paul here is saying that there's a way to live for those who have said, I want to live a life that ends up in my joy and fellowship with God and along the way that there's a deepening understanding and appreciation. The interesting thing is while the one path gives you a lot, it will not give you God, but the path that gives you God will also give you, allow you a wealth of information about all truths to appreciate and to see the world as it's created, as it's intended to be. All things are along that path. And Paul says the key for us is to cultivate in our lives a rhythm of renewing ourselves or a rhythm of learning, and particularly learning and understanding the gospel. But then the question is this how do we do it? I mean, how do we renew? How do we renew our minds. I mean, it's um, helpful for us to understand that the whole idea of developing, cultivating a, a rhythm of, re, of, of learning is, enables us to bring transformation in, 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 into our lives. But the question is, how do we do it? Now, I'm going to project a little bit here based on some other things, and, uh, but hopefully I will not project in such a way that you will be scratching your head and saying, now where in the world did he get that? I might. You might do that, but that's not my hope. But I think the simple way, as we begin in the simplest place, is for us to focus and develop a rhythm of learning requires that we turn our attention in the pursuit of truth. In particularly we've, I've said the truth of the gospel, but we turn it to truth. Now, that's not really that radical of a statement to say that we pursue truth. All education, all kinds of learning is pursuing a truth. I don't know anybody who says, you know what, I'm really, really studying hard to learn lies. I really, really want to be deceived. I want to know things that not only are irrelevant, but are just wrong. I just want to base my life upon that. I just don't know anybody who does that. And so to say that we are called to pursue truth as our, our, our foundational focus is, is really not that radical of an idea. But it is important to realize in our culture, or in whatever it is, is that Christianity declares that there is truth. God is truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The scriptures tell us that we who are in Christ are in him who is truth. So God himself is truth. God is the giver of truth. We believe, Christianity believes that there is truth and that God is the ultimate truth and all other truths are related to God and their veracity as truth is directly related to how they are connected to God. Now sometimes in Christian circles we talk about a culture that doesn't believe in truth anymore and I think that's somewhat deceiving and distorting. It's important that we understand that our culture in our world is not saying that there's no truth but really what has happened is as I understand it, and it's best ex- as it's been explained to me is its is way in the illustration of the kinds of truth that we experience. That we relegate things in terms of truth that are true truths and other things that are relative truths. True truths would be those things, at least according to our culture, science, things that are verifiable. Biology. Things that are able to experience some through deep study and and philosophical understanding, <clears throat> some simply to be experienced. If I was to say, right now, we were standing outside, it's not raining, other than the smart Alex, like I was when I was a teenager, would say it's raining somewhere, we would all agree, it's not raining. How do we know? Because there's no water coming out of the sky. That's a, you know, and so we would, the scientific truths, things that can be validated, now are considered to be true truths. On the other hand, there are other kinds of truths that we don't debate but we also don't take particularly seriously. The illustration would that be, you know, what is the best kind of pie, you know? I like a pumpkin pie. Ben might like an apple pie. He's just wrong, right? And so we all have our opinions. And so it would be foolish for me to say, well, Ben, you're just wrong. That's not the best kind of pie. I mean, it is for him. And we recognize that's a truth that he's experiencing. And for me, it'd be something else. Sometimes in music, it would be the same kind of thing. And yet we become a little more dogmatic in this area. Some would say is hip hop is their favorite. Somebody else would say jazz. And somebody else will come along and say opera is the most sophisticated. Therefore, it is a superior kind of music. I guess you can tell I'm not a fan of opera. I can deal with the classical comment that that might be superior music, but you know, it's it all comes down in one sense to ultimately, for most people, they just deal with it in a matter of taste. Those who have a claim uh, might be able to give you certain reasons, appealing to scientific uh, aspects as to what makes certain sounds, combinations of sounds, and styles to be superior to others. Usually dealing with their complexity, but in the end, we all tend to say, you know what. If you like that, that's fine. That's good for you. If you believe that's the best, that's good for you. I believe this. This is what's best for me. And we live just fine on those issues that are not particularly important. But we have found in our culture is a shift that has taken place over the past number of years. In what once was considered to be a true truth, theology, the reality of God's word, the reality of God, which was considered a science not that long ago, has now been moved from the category of true truth in the minds of many into the relative truth. And that means, okay, if that's true for you, then that's good. The problem is God, who is the source of all truth and God is the truth, is not to be relegated anywhere. And so he says that those mindsets, the idea that would relegate God and God's truth and the gospel particularly into the idea if that works for you, then that's good, but that's not my reality, and so therefore it's not true. In other words, we want to be tolerant, but we don't want to be dogmatic about something. There's been that shift that has moved the reality of God from our culture from one side to the other. And the call that Paul is making is for us to realize that God's claim, God's call, in the pursuit of truth is not to relegate God into the personal truth, into the relative truth, but realize that God, who has created all, is the absolute truth, and it's through him and by him that we know all other things. And so we need to be renewing our minds according to the truth. Now, even if we are able to do that, one of the things that we need to understand is we, once we determine a truth, we all have two options in terms of how we relate to the truth. We can either learn and submit to what is true, or we can ignore or suppress and resist what is true. Those are the only two options. We either embrace it, learn, and submit, which is what shapes us, or we ignore and suppress and and resist. Now, it's important to understand that what the gospel tells us is that all of us, by our nature, apart from the gospel, are in the category of ignore and resist at least the truth of the gospel, if not other truths. Paul writes in Romans 1, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the, un, all the um, godlessness and wickedness of the people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave Thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolishness uh, and, their, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. What Paul is, he's laying the foundation of this letter to say, look, here's what we need to understand where we are. And when we find it difficult to embrace what is ultimately true truth, but then has been relegated, it's because we naturally, our nature, everyone we know, the default mode for all of us is to suppress, to ignore the truth of what God has revealed. Paul says, though they knew God, they did not honor God. They became futile in their thinking, and the consequences, their hearts became darkened. And while that is a description of those who are rejecting God, it's also the description of our background and our default mode when we are not renewing our minds. We just minimize what God has said. But there is something that does take place when the gospel gets a hold of us, when God has revealed and His grace enables us to understand. There is a radical change that takes place within us Paul writes this to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct God? But we who are in Christ have the mind of Christ. And Paul there is explaining the whole situation, that when we are apart from the gospel, we are limited in our capacity to understand. If we do not have the Spirit, we cannot understand spiritual realities. And since God is Spirit, we cannot understand God in any way. But when we have received the Gospel, which is a gift that's been given to us, not because of anything we have done, but simply because God has chosen to turn the light bulb on for us, we now are able to understand. We are now able to consider these truths. We are able to make judgments, we are told, based upon not our own capacity, but the mind of Christ that has been given to us. We understand it in some practical ways. So we've been working on the discovery class for, that has started today. Kathy had sent me an old file to be able to update some changes that we made. But I wasn't able to open the files, or I was able to open them, and some of the things I was able to see and other things were encrypted. The reason for that is because I didn't have the program that the files had been written on, and neither did Kathy. In fact, nobody seems to know what the program was in the first place. And so we can only decipher a few things, which is not exhaustive. We are limited in our ability until we figure out what the program is, and since that's not going to happen, we're going to just start all over. Spiritually speaking, what happens there is we begin with an inability to understand spiritual things. Why? Because we're broken. We're not the way we're supposed to make. But when God in His grace gives us the gospel, something radical happens. The key is change. And we're now able to think and to learn in a way that we were unable to before because we now can see the whole picture and we can make judgments and we can change our lives on the basis of all that we are able to see that we were previously unable to see. And so we're beginning to see why it's vitally important for us to realize if we're gonna renew our minds, we don't renew it simply by learning. Although lifelong learning is vitally important and I highly encourage it, we need to realize inclusive in that learning and specific to the learning that renews our minds is the understanding of the gospel that is what is the power that brings renewal in our lives. We are reminded that there's a fundamental shift that takes place because of the gospel, because before we were suppressing, and now with the gospel we are able where we were not able before. And The reality is when the gospel takes a, heart, a hold of us, there's the change takes place, then there becomes this normal in our lives a desire to learn, not just because someone's twisting our arms, but or not even just because it's a good idea, but because we're hungry and we want to know more about God because we realize where we want to be is on this path, and it comes from deeper understanding. Peter encourages us this way too because he tells us in his admonition, grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's his way of talking about the fact that we continually renew our minds by focusing on the gospel and then seeing things through that lens that is transforming us. We're hungry to be able to learn more because we want to help others, because we know we're limited and we know we're broken, and some of us know where we were prior to having this gift given to us. And we want to be able to explain to others as well, to encourage other believers, to share the hope with those who are struggling to believe or perhaps even flat out rejecting we want to be able to help others. We are also called to be able to transform, to be agents of transformation. God has placed us here, not by accident, but that we would be His agents of renewing the town where we're placed. And this town is a picture of what is to happen, just the history of it. At one time, significant, then hundreds of years of insignificant and decay. And then someone had the idea that they were going to restore it to what it originally was. And the beauty and the reason people come here is because it has been restored. And it's a picture not only of what was, but it's a picture of others of what can be. Our lives fall into that very category, and God has placed us here. But in order for us to be what we are called to be, we need to be able to learn. We need to learn what God is, what God intends, what God has made us, what God has promised. We need to know what people believe and what are the idols and the values of the culture where we live. We need to be able to engage people with understanding in the way that Christ has engaged us. There's a lot of learning that is necessary, but in view of the promise of the gospel, we then become agents of transformation, not just in our lives and the lives of individuals, but we're able to address the brokenness in our community wherever it is that God has placed us. And so we begin to learn and have a hunger to be what God has called us to be. And we see change in our own lives. And we see change in the lives of the people around us. And we can see change in the communities where God has placed us anywhere in the world. Now I've been speaking as if it's just kind of understood that everybody wants to learn. Perhaps you're somebody who is saying, look, I'm fine. And it's not just the Christian stuff gospel, I don't want to learn anything. I mean, maybe you're like me when I was in college. I heard a comedian that actually must have seen me in college because he was talking about he had studied all night for a test and he went to breakfast tried try to grab something simple before his test and a friend came up and said, how are you today? And he said, quiet, don't ask me anything, don't tell me anything. I've been studying, I've got all the information packed in my head. If I get one more fact, it's just going to all fall out. I'm going to know nothing. I want to know nothing more. You may have lived your life that way, or perhaps you've just been inundated learning or feel like it just, you're just tired. If that's true, I would say to you that's a very common, common situation. I don't want you to feel bad, but I do want you to, to kind of diagnose what's the reason behind that. And we ask ourselves certain questions uh, in order to help us to be freed and to find the joy of learning. One is we ask ourselves, Is is a fear of complexity. Why do I know nothing about my car engine? Because I can't understand it. It's just too complex. So I'll leave it to people who are smarter than me. I can gas it and I can drive to where somebody can fix it. That's all I feel like I need to know. But the reality is people say the same thing about theology. While I'm glad that Dalton will know how to fix my car and I'm comfortable with that, he can do for my car what I can't do for you. We are only renewed and fixed by God when we engage Him. And we can help and encourage, but we individually must give ourselves to Him. And so we need to ask ourselves is it just truths about God seem too complex? We begin where we are and we find ways that we are able to grow. And people connect in different ways. Maybe nobody's taught you about the value. Maybe you've seen the church or been in the church and you just recognize that evangelical churches do some weird, weird things. And maybe no more than how we treat the Bible and Bible study. See, my impression for a long time, at least based on the way I heard other Christians teaching when I was in college, was this. You read the Bible and get stronger. And the mental image that I had, and I don't think it was just the mental image I had. I think this is what they were saying. The Bible study should be a lot like Popeye squeezing the spinach can, downing it, and then just seeing him bulge out in muscles. And so you come to the Bible study, and you're supposed to, you know, take this Bible in, and now you're strong, ready to take on the world. I wasn't. But darned if I was going to tell anybody else that, because I assumed they were all getting stronger, and I just kind of felt like, okay, now I know something. I'm not sure what I know, but I I know something. And if the effect of Bible study is supposed to make you like Popeye, and, I, and maybe that is your experience, but I would suspect that most of you don't have that experience that Bible study is like Popeye, then it would be very discouraging. And it prevents us from sharing, and that's one of the ways that we grow. Because we are afraid that people would think that we're not strong. And it's not, it's, I believe a church has created that atmosphere. The reality is we read the Bible the same way that you have a good, healthy diet and you bring in the vitamins that you need. Because over time, you will become stronger and healthier and able to overcome things that previously you were not able to because you'll have the right perspective, because you'll have the right ideas, because you will have spiritual strength. It's not the immediacy, but it's, over the long haul, understanding. And perhaps it's been discouraged because you've had that wrong idea. Whatever the issue is, it's important that you understand that we are called to become learners, to develop a rhythm of learning, some perhaps in great volume, some a little bit along the way, but it becomes the rhythm of our life of learning, and particularly learning all the great things, learning to see through the lens of the gospel, which helps us to understand everything else that's on that other path, but in a new way and I would dare say a true way, in a way that God has intended us to learn. It's we're called to commit ourselves to regularly learning and renewing our minds by learning and focusing on the gospel. I'm going to finish with just a story. I read not long ago of a man named John Stanford. He's not widely known. He was the superintendent of Seattle Public Schools. And in 1999, John Stanford uh, was, had succumbed to leukemia, Before he had passed, he had inspired the people of Seattle to believe again in the public schools and the potential that they had and to believe enough that they would engage it and work to see the improvement so that the schools could be what they were supposed to be. But even in his waning days, and he gave his life and didn't step aside, he continued to labor toward the end of improving the Seattle public schools Even in his waning days when people who knew him, people who cared about him would come up and ask, how are you doing or how are the schools doing? He gave the same response in both circumstances. His response to the question of how he was doing or how the schools were doing, how his life objective was doing, he always said, perfect and improving. Folks, that's us who are in Christ. See, in Jesus Christ, all of Paul writing in chapters 1 through 11 reminds us we have been declared perfect despite the fact that we have a lot of room for improvement. But the righteousness of Christ is counted as ours. That's the promise of the gospel. We are perfect, and yet the power of the gospel doesn't leave us where we are. It renewing, through the renewing of our mind, through the discipline of learning, the rhythm of learning, the renewing of our mind, we go from perfect to perfect and improving because we become more and more like the perfection that we have been declared. That is the promise and the reality of those who are called to Christ and who live with a rhythm of learning, and particularly the renewing of the mind with a deepening understanding of God's Word with the lens of the gospel. Father, we do pray that you would help us to understand the beauty and the glory of the truth that you have given that we would not just be a people who labor and do our chores and our due diligence, but that we would hunger and then hunger more as if we are a people who are given a treat to delight in. For that is what your word and your gospel is. But Lord, we do pray that you would help us as well because in our weakness, in our brokenness, in our busyness, the idea of doing one more thing can be daunting. And so I pray that you would help us to realize not only the priority and the benefits but the joy that is ours through the renewing of our minds according to your word. Help us to realize that it is not a matter of compromise and it's not even necessarily a matter of sacrificing of our intellect or our knowledge, but it is to learn and to be renewed, to see things as you created them to be, how they really are. Through this, Lord, strengthen us and use us Pray in Christ.